and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. We've got a pretty action-packed show and this is a special broadcast uh, dedicated to Grandmothers Against Removal who will be our feature interview on the show. So first up, we're going to be speaking with... Um, with Auntie Joanne and also um, her niece Courtney and they are two of the founders of Grandmothers Against Removal. We'll be speaking to them very shortly about the fact that 20 years after the Bring Them Home report which revealed widespread devastation caused by large-scale removal of Indigenous children from their families and after the, the apology of the Rudd government um, there still appears to be no change at all. And I was actually speaking to Auntie on air um, yesterday and they're going to speak about the child protection system and some of the the flaws um, and how the system is broken and having a look at stolen generation and perhaps even I'm hoping that they'll talk about the demands of grandmothers against removal. So I'm quite excited about that. And then later on we're going to be speaking with Maud Clark who... Um, who initiated, helped initiate um, a theatre company called Somebody's Daughter who works, and this particular company works with women in prison and post-release as well, and looking at different types of art forms and also um, having a look at a video um, and, and a video clip that women in prison have done, and it's called No More Hiding in Silence. So we'll talk about that. And then we're going to be talking to Lucy Honan, Honan sorry, from the Refugee Action Collective, and we're going to be speaking about an event um, coming up at Mitar Detention Centre exposing the plight of um, asylum seekers and refugees. And this particular event will, is called Untold Storytime, Reading for Refugee Rights at Mitar. So we'll talk about that. That's hosted by teachers, by teachers of refugees. Um, but in the meantime, I'm now going to hopefully line up um, Courtney and... Joanne, and we'll be doing that very soon. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you. Hello. How are you going? Good, good. So that Joanne and Courtney, both of you are there? Yep. Yes. Well, that's a very clever piece of conferencing. <laughs> We're in place. <laughs> We're in a technological age now. <laughs> good on, good on your sisters. <laughs> now I'm wondering if um, you could start off, and it'll be up to you to see who goes first, to talk about grandmothers against removal and and what's been going on, and talk about some of the background. Yes. Okay. How um, we're actually grandmothers against forced removal, in South Australia. Thank you. So we're a little bit different to the national movement with um, GMAR. Okay. Follow the same principles, but are not necessarily associated with. Um, how it came about for Courtney and myself is that Courtney's grandson was removed at five months of age, prematurely and illegally, um, and it then took us ten months to fight the system. Um, and I'm actually a worker inside the system, so I'm really familiar with it. But it was nine placements, two lots of abuse, 
um, before we could get that child back into family care. Um, meanwhile, two of us held DCSI child-safe clearances. Um, so there's a lot of problems here in South Australia with the system. Um, many children have been removed that don't need to be removed. And I think for us, one of the things that, you know, we're just not communicating properly is that every taxpayer out there should be involved in child protection because it's where the greatest amount of their tax dollars are going and there's no need for them to go there. To put an intervention in for a family will cost $50 a day. To remove a child is $1,000 a night. So when you look at what we're spending on child protection, a lot better could be done. And that's apart from the effects upon the child, which then all of the family are triggered with intergenerational trauma. That must have been... So that's how we got involved. Very devastating. So... Before we actually launch into it, because one of the things that's really important here, I mean, I know that all children are vulnerable in the child protection system, but I think that Aboriginal children have very special circumstances. Could you... Sorry? You're quite correct. That's true, isn't it? But before we launch into it, could you two just tell us what land you're from, just so that people know? Certainly. I'm Nubbinger. Hello, um, Courtney. So, I, my name's Courtney Nolliandu, um, Um I'm from the Hunter family, and I'm a Nottingham and Paramount woman and a grandmother. Um, I have five children and one grandchild. And Ashton, my grandson, he was removed and placed into care. And my mother, um, Mandy Brown, she was also part of the stolen generation. She was removed um, under allegations of you know, that my grandmother was abusing her as a baby. Now, I have my grandmother's and my mother's files, um, and it was, you know, that was forced adoption, basically, what happened to my mother. And the allegations were is that my grandmother was beating um, my mother when it actually turns out, you know, that was pigmentation in my mother's skin. So, you know, for multiple generations now, we've actually been targets um, of the, you know, the numerous legal and policy frameworks that are supposed to protect Aboriginal children but are just, you know, failing us. So instead of instead of actually working out a kinship structure and looking at placing children with Aboriginal families and looking at things early to help people, what are they doing? Okay, well, the the problem lays in how the legislation is interpreted and that includes by the South Australian Court, the Youth Court. Um, The Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Child Placement Principles sits inside legislation, state and federal. The trouble is... Um, although it sits there and it sits there for a primary reason, it, um, beyond the bringing them home report, is the least acknowledged piece within the legislation. The other problem being that here in South Australia anyway, our civil section of the youth court who removed the children, it's done on a balance of probability, so there doesn't actually need to be any evidence of what's being alleged. It simply needs to be alleged. So there's no evidence at all, no, nothing? Oh, look, in some cases I will say there is evidence, but on the greater majority of cases there isn't a lot of evidence. It doesn't um, operate like a criminal court. Yeah, it? no, yeah. You know, it's the only court where it's balanced the probability versus evidence. Um, at one stage I worked for the Aboriginal Family Support Services, which is our gazetted agency here, and responded to all court reports. Um, again, we get back to the fact that we're asked for cultural safety to be put into all court matters. But once it gets there, it's the least acknowledged um, safety aspect for a child. 
or for an Aboriginal child anyway. So there really needs to be no further adoption of Indigenous children? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, more than that, what we fight for here um, in South Australia is that um, all removals, given the time, usually unless it's an emergency removal, there is enough time to identify family members who can keep the children safe inside family. Um, this is what we're promoting here in South Australia through Family Matters, the Family Matters campaign under SNAKE. Um, you know, we understand that sometimes environments aren't going to be really productive for a child to grow up to be happy and healthy, but at the same time, taking them completely out of family, you know, yeah. severing culture, yeah. severing everything that they understand about being Aboriginal and putting them into a non-Aboriginal household and world um, leads to life outcomes that are so poor that it starts to take shape in the problems that we see now, which is the alcoholism, the mental health, the prison rates, all of the, you know, social consequences that are attached to child removal. And that's not just... It is critical for Aboriginal children because our cultural connections are critical, but that's critical for all children. Um, you know, yeah. we sometimes see, like we did on Mother's Day a couple of years ago, a non-Aboriginal man looking for his birth mother simply because he just wanted to know who he was. Well, that's yeah. no different for Aboriginal children, but it's more critical... Because during their youth and during their, um, you know, yeah. as young people, they're going through customer, customs and things like that around their identity that just can't be done later in life. So if you take a child at a young age and bring the child back at 18, um, especially into remote communities, what we've found from the families is that the families don't know how to relate with the child and the child doesn't know how to relate with the culture. So, again, we end up with social consequences of unemployment, jail, um, all of the things that you just don't want to see in a country like this one. Indeed, and it's actually really good to have um, South Australia represented on the Do and Time show because we haven't done a lot of South Australia. It's all been New South Wales. And, and what's the country, your country called, though, again, in South Australia, oh, your no, bit? No. Not in Jerry. We're both not in Jerry women. Not in Jerry. Um, Ghana country. We're on Ghana country at the moment. Wonderful, wonderful. And do you think perhaps what did both of you think of this? That maybe Courtney, if you were comfortable, that you could talk about um, what happened. And of course, we don't want to open up old wounds, but I think it's important that listeners do know why they they should have done something more to help you with your child and rather than taking him away. Can you use that perhaps an ex as an example to highlight some of the stolen generation stuff? Do you feel comfortable with that, Courtney? Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, awesome. I'm actually now, um, because of this, you know, I'm a second-year law student and I think that sometimes you have to separate emotions from, you know, the facts of sure. what actually happened. Um, and at the time that it occurred, you know, I was extremely traumatised. I just... It had taken me around 30 years to process my grandmother's pain, you know, that was passed down through my mother to me. Um, and we've, uh, we've, my family has always lived with that fear, you know, of forced removals, as do nearly all families, you know, because, you know, us as Aboriginal people, this impacts our lives, like, every single day, you know. Um, and I, you know, I'm just speaking for my family, but I know that there's families out there, you know. People now are too, too scared to send their children to school. You know, they're running from the state. And that, you know, that is just you know, not acceptable that they're in such fear, you know, living in their own country. But um, with my grandson, um, basically, he was taken under risk of emotional neglect. 
Now, my son and my daughter-in-law had been at my home, you know, that that day. Uh, we have an extensive family, so they had a lot of support. Um, I'm just going to cut in and explain on behalf of Courtney that in Aboriginal families, unlike in non-Aboriginal families, we don't have single-parent attachment, which is what makes the law complex, because for us, under law, everything is focused on, on the parents. Yeah. However, like 95% of the world's population, we use an allo parenting system, which means that the parents, yeah, the parents weren't the only carers. There was Courtney myself, Courtney's mother, um, his other auntie, who's a retired GP. There were plenty of people inside the family that could have taken care of him. Yeah, I yeah, get and it. Is that um, you know my grandson was taken under risk of emotional neglect. Now at the time, you know, on the phone we were told. Uh, basically, that it was um, uh, co-sleeping and toys in the cot was the reasons for removal. Oh. Um, there was, yeah, I know. Which you know, co-sleeping is one of our practices. Like you know, we sleep with our children in the bed, like that. Come on, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm serious. We're serious. serious. Yeah, oh. and we have not one of the worst cases we've come across. You know, my grandson, he. You know, we wanted him to be placed with mum, you know, and it turned out, you know, they had put an affidavit in saying that because my mum was stolen dead, she was emotionally incapable of caring for her grandson. Um, that was then later discarded, you know, which these workers, you know, are straight out of university. They've got no idea of our cultural practices, how we operate as families. And no accountability. And there's zero accountability, like oh. zero. Like, so they, my grandson was moved multiple times. You know, he was abused. One of the carers was on ice. Um, my grandson went missing. Oh, great. Um, you know, so, yeah, we're talking about a five-month-old baby. This is a baby. Like, I'm not surprised. Know, I'm not surprised with the child protect, protection system, to be honest. Yeah, no, yeah. it's exactly it's, it's something. It's yeah. named wrongly. It should not be called a child protection system and hasn't protected children in the longest time. If you look at any research from anywhere around the country, you will see the outcomes for children exiting the system are the lowest in this country. So, therefore... In essence, what we were doing by putting them into the system... Placing them at risk. Is, yeah, and eroding their lifelong outcome. So it's I basically... I think to New Zealand. For sure. Oh, yeah, New Zealand, absolutely, because they're, they're, they're oh, a pretty good example. Yeah. Courtney and I often discuss different policies um, internationally, and the thing that stands out to us the most is when you read our reports here, such as um, Nyland, uh, Life They Deserve, or the current, you know, a fresh start that we're having the reform under... Compare the language in that to the language in the New Zealand, you know, think family life chances and things like that. Their governments take accountability for the vulnerability of their people. Our governments take a punitive approach um, and tend to punish those that are slipping through the gap. It's very interesting to see, I think, um, would it be fair to say that this is really about a modern-day penal colony and mission system? Funny enough, we often refer yeah. to it as a colonialist yeah. um, approach. The timelines, we're sitting here with timelines that run from 1770 to 2016, and what we've highlighted is the repeated approach of the same assimilation, which is now called mainstreaming, um, and the forced removal of children um, into other cultures. Now, legally, when you look at the transfer of a large number of children from one culture to another, it's classed as genocide. It's 1788 all over again, and one of the things is, it is. It is. isn't it really? I mean, if you really look at it, I mean, look at what happened with Naomi Williams, the young woman who died um, as a result of 
um, negligence on the part of the health authorities at the, at the hospital in New South Wales, yep. the Aboriginal woman yep. who was pregnant? We've, we've actually got children um, killing themselves here inside the system yeah. rather than remain inside the system. When it gets to that point, and when a system knows it's broken, and in South Australia we've had four inquiries into our child protection system, only the last one by Justice Nylan was acted upon. However, that system isn't repaired. It's not even close to repaired. And they are still taking, at the moment, I think last year was 1,215 Aboriginal kids put into care, but that's not the juvenile justice system. And it's interesting, we were just listening, coming into our turn to talk, about um, the prison system. One of the largest problems we've got here in South Australia is it's undermined by poverty, such as Aboriginal mothers, um, parking tickets, feeding fines, anything like that that can't be paid, then cancels the licence, then it becomes um, a jailable offence. The moment the mothers are in jail, the children are in the system, and again, we won't get them back out. Well, that's exactly right. And, and one of the things that I keep talking about over and over again on this show in particular is that stolen generation has not disappeared because what's happening is that all the descendants of the perpetrators that perpetrated all those crimes of humanity yep. against Aboriginal yep. children um, are here in this country. I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound awful, but... No, no, it's, no, it's reality. This is the truth. It's reality. That's, and they're still perpetuating those things without looking, without being educated. And that's it. And this is why Courtney and I have decided to take the approach where if government is selling our kids on a business plan, we want taxpayers to look at what they're paying for, which is, you know, worse outcome. And it can only mean that you're going to pay more tax next year because the cycles are ascending. They're increasing. They are not decreasing. Um, but, you know, money aside, what sort of communities are we going to have or what sort of society? Are we going to have here in a little while when everybody's been broken down and put inside systems, nobody knows who they are, we've got mental health, drug abuse? You know, it's, it's a real mess. Indeed. No, it, it is a mess. And, you know, this is where it all comes back to treaty and part of treaty needs to be a way to move forward to, to help each other. I mean, come on, this co-sleeping thing and saying that someone's not emotionally capable because they're from stolen generation, I mean, those are really, really subjective um, allegations, aren't they? Well, so this is where, you know, this is where I think, you know, the system deliberately targets, you know, certain family groups and they've done it systemically for generations now. Like, you can't deny the evidence base that actually exists you know, that every single family is impacted in this way. Like, the state just keeps coming and coming and coming, you know. And my mother had submitted to, um, you know, the Bringing Them Home report, some of her poetry's in there about the impact upon her being removed, you know. And, you know, that was in 1997. And now we fast forward nearly two decades later and it's gone from one in every five children living in out-of-home care to today. And that's now every one in three Aboriginal children are in care. And, you know, in the legislation, um, the child protection legislation, it talks about the Aboriginal child placement principles. Um, well, in the majority of cases, you know, you could actually say that those are not even applied. Correct. Correct. And I think something too for your listeners, um, because Courtney and I being Aboriginal have a different understanding, um, to look at the timelines for Aboriginal families, like I said, we're sitting with timelines that run from 1770 to 2016, where there has been a major impact at least every three years, you know, that's a collective trauma. 
And some of the signs of collective trauma, a deep mistrust of self and others, um, fear of anticipating uh, betrayal, shame, humiliation, loss of value, um, you know, violence, suicide, risk-taking, substance abuse, unlimited grief. These are all things that were forced upon us and now we're being punished for them again because that's what they used to remove the children. Cultural genocide. Indeed, it's cultural genocide. So what's... racism. That's exactly right. It is racism. So what can you do as a group to try and change that? Okay, we've been working really hard at this. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be here all night. (laughs) We're about to start protest rallies because what we've found in the last two years is under this current South Australian reform, the reform's been set. It benefits the government. The government has created huge industries from the reform money. Um, And there are no better outcomes for people. There is no genuine faith. You know, we speak with lawyers, we speak with everyone, and what they tell us is the same thing we experience. By the time we get to a family and they tell us their story, they have never had an opportunity to even answer sometimes to some of the things that their children are being removed for. Um, And language is another thing. I've worked in positions where, you know, we've had 60 clinicians on board and we had to sit with most of them because a non-Aboriginal interpretation of what an Aboriginal person is saying usually gets mixed up. It's a little bit like Chinese whispers. Yeah. It's it's really hard and and I think that this... This discussion is really, really crucial, isn't it? And I'd like to have you two back regularly, you know, to talk about what's happening because it's really important. We'd love to, yeah. We'd love to bring our friends too, like Chris Graham. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chris he Graham's exposed, awesome. Oh, I love him. He exposed John Howard's Northern Territory intervention. He's a very interesting man to Oh, talk yes. To. I can, yeah, maybe we can see that up next. We can all do a oh, conference. We'll do a panel. We can have we can have an Aboriginal drum. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> we will soon. It's all good. Not that we're copying ABC, but <laughs> we'll think of another name. Look, that's I really thank you so much for for coming onto the program. We're going, I'm going to be having another interview happening in in three minutes, but I wanted to give you nearly half the show because I just felt that stolen generation is a really important topic and um, and keep up the good work and let's hope we can we can do some work together. Actually Courtney and I spoke about it and we'd like to end our show by quoting Uncle Charlie Perkins and that is to say that Aboriginal people don't live in the past. The past continues to live with us. So next time before someone asks why don't we get over it, it's because we can't Yep. Are you there? Yes. Yeah, the past continues to live with us. And Courtney, you you have got the most amazing voice for court. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to make a good lawyer one day. <laughs> Doesn't she, Joanne? <laughs> Actually, no, I just said to Courtney, I've got the perfect face for radio. <laughs> you, know, Not... you know, what the, what I was seeing, you know, is when we were going into, you know, these, the child protection system is that, a lot of these young ones don't understand at every point of contact. The department is actually taking evidence against them. That's you right. Know, they think that they're their friends and, you know, they, they tell them everything and they have no legal representation half the time. Sometimes they're told the cases lack merit. You know,
you know, and that in itself is actually a miscarriage of justice. And the fact that the child protection system and its workers are using perjury in the court, perjury, yeah. you know, to secure these outcomes, yeah, that, that in itself, you know, just is testimony to what we're actually up against, you know, and it's just, you know, I mean, it's a huge battle, but it's a battle that we're willing to take on, you know, and keep fighting. Absolutely. And how old is Tyson now? How old is Ashton? Uh, sorry, Ashton, sorry. How old is Ashton? Ashton, he's three, um, and he's doing really well uh, for a while Good. there. You know, he he thinks when he goes to a new home or he oh, sees yeah. DCP standard issue furniture, he's traumatised by that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what he experienced, you know, he was a happy, healthy baby when he was taken, which was verified by medical professionals. They tried to say that he had failure to thrive. Um, they didn't get... There was no medical failure to thrive, and in the end, they put failure to strive. And we're like, what, strive out of the cot? You know, like, you know, he's only five months old. Like, he, yeah, what happens and what happened to my grandmothers and my mother is absolutely disgusting. It I is. think it'll be a good session to come back and talk about the differences between um, removing children who are placed at risk and having children inside the system with failure to thrive all over their file, and the department ignores it. So, yeah, no, we're happy to talk about a lot of things. Let's talk about that very soon, perhaps in a couple of weeks' time, in a month's time, you come back on. Failure to thrive. I mean, maybe maybe they need to say they need to say failure to assimilate. Yeah, yeah, that's a new catchphrase. It is failure to assimilate. You know, because those children, my grandson, he cried for us. You know, and every time we'd see him, you know, I'd show him the trees, and I'd be like, you know, I'd explain to him, you know, the trees and. You know, he'd talk to them, he'd look at us, he'd get upset every time he'd drive off in that car, you know, and it just every single moment, you know, it was just heartbreaking to not know where he was. He was then bashed and he was in hospital. You know, we weren't allowed to go to the baby, you know, even though we'd actually done nothing wrong to him, there was no criminal charges, there was nothing in place to say that we couldn't go to our grandson, Barbo's workers. So one of them told me that um, or she was adopted and she turned out fine. And like we said, the difference between you is that, you know, you were given up. And I said, you stole that baby, you know, and her face was just like, well, what can I say to that? Because they did steal the baby and they're still stealing our kids and they need to stop. Accountability for that, though, sits with the government and the minister because yes. what we find is those little grads know that they can hide behind the statutory authority without any accountability. Um, and that was our complaint, um, was that false affidavits had been knowingly provided to the court to remove the child. That's when we got him back. Absolutely. And even if there are problems, whether it relates, you know, to all children, give people help early and don't oh, go snatching them, you know? Yes, Again, exactly. I highly recommend the New Zealand policies. They are amazing. We'll have to have a look at that. in the boat and floating to New Zealand. Yeah, seeking asylum from the Australian <laughs> government. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I brought this up, though, the other day. I'm doing refugee law and policy, and I brought it up that, you know, um, with some of the other students, is that how come no one seeks asylum from Australia? And it's actually getting to the point where, it's our culture. you know, it's our culture, but I don't want to run. It's time to go. But it's no. time for us to go, because when it's not safe for me and my family to stay in Australia, where else are we going to go? You know what? Don't give the government the satisfaction. No, never, never. It'll be all all right. Thanks so much for coming on to the program. It was lovely to have you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. We'll talk very soon. And I'll let you know the podcast. We'll give you the link when it comes out. No problem. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye. And that was um, Auntie Joanne and her niece Courtney um, from Forced Grandmothers of Removal. 
I believe there's a, a couple of groups um, within Australia and they were specifically from South Australia. And we're going to be speaking pretty soon with Maud Clark from somebody's daughter um, shortly from um, a theatre company that um, works with and acts with women in prison and post-release. Red Alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. And welcome to the Doing Time show. No trees, no treaty indeed. And we're going to be speaking now with Maud Clark from Somebody's Daughter. Hello, Maud. Welcome to the program. Hello. It's lovely to have you. And this is the very first time you're coming on. And it's I want to welcome you to the show. Oh, that's very lovely. Thank you. Now, perhaps you can guide me through it and just talk a little bit about Somebody's Daughter and also about the video clip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll leave, you, I'll leave you over to you. Okay. Look, Somebody's Daughter Theatre has been working in the prison since 1980 um, when we took a show into Fairly Women's Prison and one of the women asked if we could do drama. And since that time, with a few little breaks, but not that many, um, there has been a show that has been um, devised by the women, performed by the women um, every year, um, um, and with an art exhibition. The art exhibition started when Sally Marsden started coming in in the late 80s. So there's an art exhibition and a show that happens now at Deer Park um, every year. And at Tarangawa Prison, Kate, visual artist who works with somebody's daughter, this probably four or five a year that happen in the visit centre up there. So um, since 1980, Somebody's Daughter Theatre has been working with women in the prison and post-release. And also we have been working with young people um, in partnership with Education Health, led by the arts, for young people who can't do mainstream school mainly, and the arts become the bridge back into education and inclusion. Wow. I mean, that's that's fantastic. I mean, because I've heard of... Um how did how did the title of somebody's daughter? How was it born? It was born with a group of us around the table, and I think I suggested it because everybody is somebody's daughter. And that was when we we were we'd been doing shows in in it fairly up until the eighties, late eighties, and then a woman who got out had found so much support from the work, the creative work in the prison, that she wanted the same on the outside. And so um, once we got to the, once we started forming a group on the outside, we needed to name ourselves and all of that stuff. And that show was called Tell Her That I Love Her. Yeah. I think it was in 1991, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and that's when we um, officially formed as a theatre company. And that's when the, the name Somebody's Daughter Theatre, and it's confusing 
excuse me, because That's we work right. with a, a number of young men as well as young women that help oh, people right. it, you know. Yep. But we, we think we should be calling ourselves somebody else's grandmother by now. <laughs> no, but that, that's good. I mean, we're still daughters, even even if we're older. <laughs> totally. Absolutely, totally. You know, yeah. and we're all ageless, really. But, you know, Maud, one of the things that I, I was looking at today, I, I actually managed to see the video, No More Hiding in Silence. Fantastic. And it was such a powerful clip and it really highlighted to me as a radio broadcaster and, and also as a, as a, as a woman – being a, you know that domestic violence has to be acknowledged and imagine women in prison um, being afraid for their loved ones on the outside can you talk about that clip and and because I want to see if we can promote it for listeners I love your work so um, this was we, we had some funding from the Victorian Women's Trust and with Anna Myler Portland and Australia Council who are an ongoing funder um, and with great support from justice we were able to to bring a scene and a song that was from a show that was done in the prison two years ago. Um, always, most of the women, as you would well know and all of your listeners would know, most yeah. women within the prison system are there and they have huge issues of violence. There's, it's, it's a no-brainer why people end up there, really. And that violence is often perpetuated through systems. So, um, And it's very hard. It's been very hard to find a way to bring the voice of women inside in terms of... Um, getting through all the processes and also we've always been really aware that women might say that they want to have their faces shown while they're in prison and once they're out they don't really want that. So it was very important that this project was handled in a way where there was great respect for the women as well and Karen Harper really spearheaded this. She's the main um, artistic, she's the artistic director who works with Justin Holland, Karen um, Taylor and Sam Reed within the prison. So we were able to manage to work with a group of post-release women who were green screened so it looked like they were in the prison in the cell, um, with women in the prison who were able to do this beautiful circle up and it brings tears to my eyes every time I see it. Yeah. That was a huge thing for that to be filmed on the oval in the prison. And also with young people that we've worked with um, outside in Aubrey Wodonga and Geelong. So it was an incredible bringing together of communities who know the violence inside out and it was a wonderful um, opportunity for women within the prison to be able to put their voice and get their voice out there to join with everyone around the world for No More Hiding in Silence. So it's on the website. If anybody wants to see it, you just go to somebody's door to get a website and um, it's up there front and centre. So what's the actual name of the website? It's Somebody's Daughter Theatre. Somebody. I looked it up myself, www.com somebody's daughter theatre and that will take you to the website look it really is worth um watching and and listening to and in fact i believe there's a donation button there too isn't there tell us about why people need to press the button <laughs> oh look we're a small community theatre company and um we believe that the arts are important for soul spirit everything, <laughs> you know, and and particularly, and I would say particularly for so many of the oppressed communities we work with, they don't have that privilege. So um, what the arts can do in, you know, there's a whole thing in, in um, Native American tradition where they talk about soul retrieval. Yes. And, you you know, a shaman will can bring your soul back, travel between the worlds and bring your soul back. And that's what the arts do, you know, through song and dance and theatre and, and people coming together in circle 
they reclaim parts of themselves. And that's what we do when we have a fantastic, I reckon, you know, a fantastic, when you're, where you're totally engaged on a heart and soul level, you're bringing all of your bits together. So, um, it's, so the work we do and we claim we're very much a company of artists. We have strong partnerships with health, with education and with justice, but we are a company of artists. And, and the arts are often hard for people to get. They don't understand it in the same way that it is if, in terms of housing, and I understand that too. But So it's a, it's a constant battle, and for us as a community um, arts organisation to survive over 30 years is a miracle. Nothing short of a miracle, and it's hard. So, um, And I do know that the women within the prison that work with us, it's, the prison walls dissolve and there's a time where they can just be a human being meeting another human being. And that, that point is immeasurably powerful. Um, the work that we do on the outside with young people, um, there are young people that are treading paths now that have not taken them into the prison system. And I know that that's because of their work with us. So the work on the outside is very, very, very much about using the arts as a platform or a bridge to education. And there's quite a few young people now who... Um, who, you know, just have established lives that would never, ever, ever have been possible. So um, I don't know if that's No, that's, that's amazing. Thank you very much. And, and in fact, just so that listeners are aware, um, this, is, this is a theatre company, in case people have just tuned in, um, this is the Do and Time show, and we're listening to an interview with Maud Clark, and this theatre company is for and of... Um, women in prison and, and post-release, isn't it? That's how it started. Yeah. It started from Fairley, didn't it? It started at Fairley and the post-release, we're wanting to build the post-release and, of course, it's all to do with funding. Yeah. So we're hoping to reinvigorate that whole arm. Um, it was very, very, very strong in the 90s and there were some fantastic shows. Some people might remember Tell Her That I Love Her and Call My Name. Um, oh, and, you know, and then there was the Gatwick that was at Chapel of Chapel not that long ago and so full of brave at the Arts Centre. So there's been some amazing, amazing shows that have come from post-release. But in terms of funding... Yeah, that's hard. Um, that's going to take... And it also, you know, you can't... We don't believe in hit-and-run projects where, um, as you can see, being in yeah. a prison, we've been there for 30 years. Um, it's really important that it's not yet another case of where people have... have you know, a formed of connection and then that connection falls down a hole. So we're really aware of the importance of strong connections with health, with education, drug courts doing fantastic things. So hopefully within the next 12 months or so, um, that whole space will be much stronger than it is now. And to get the government on side as well, which is um, yeah, sometimes you know, difficult. We have really good connections good. with people in justice. Good. And, and, I, and I can't commend the manager of the prison enough. She has been fantastic. At Dame so, Phyllis Frost? Yep, yep. Fantastic. Oh, well, good. Tracy Jones has been absolutely wonderful. We've got um, to hear the positive as, as well. And, in fact, you know, Maud, one of the things is that this show actually started uh, many years ago, now I'd say more than 20 years ago, and there are, you know, a lot of ex, ex-prisoners that would come in, and sometimes there mm. still are, and, you know, the, the, collective, the collective varies, but... Why we usually we still broadcast the show is because there we still believe that there is a listenership in prison. Obviously, we don't have the money to do surveys to you know to work out how many yeah. people are listening, but that's why yeah. we do it. We offer it as a resource um, for men and women in prison to listen to the show. So, are and there I, any? I want to be yeah. very. Go on. I want to be very clear. I don't believe in prisons. 
I don't either. do not. And no. I've been on the record for that for a number, a number of years. And I believe that if, as a society, we really um, did have a commitment to our most disadvantaged and oppressed, we would have a much more um, visionary system. We're not even a system. It's based on a punishment model. Absolutely. And it doesn't work for people who've been punished from the moment they've been born. So I think that there's fantastic people that we have had the fortune to have as supporters within the justice system, and that's part of the reason that we're still existing. And having said that, I do not believe in prisons at all. Absolutely. And in fact, I believe Vicky Roach is in Somebody's Daughter and she she does a lot of work on prison abolition. Oh, she's fantastic. She's in, the, she's in the clip. She's fantastic. She's amazing. She's, yeah. she's one of the post-release and um, her input was absolutely wonderful. In fact, I saw her on the drum um, weeks before we did it and I thought that that um, ABC, I shouldn't say that on 3CR, should I? That's all right. But that particular episode talking about... Um, There's nothing wrong with that. Women in prison and the, and the lack of need for prisons was absolutely fantastic. Look, it's it good. Fantastic. The drum does have some great things. I was just talking about the drum before your interview, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, but it's true. There's nothing wrong with highlighting other programs. Oh, we do it all Sammy the time. Sammy piece on Thursday night made me weep. The song made me weep. Yeah. Fantastic. And are there any tours coming up at all? Not for the um, in terms of the prison. We're hoping to release another video clip, which is based on a, a gambling um, a song around gambling that was done in that same year as that show. There's a prison show that's coming up, but that's a very much an invited guest. Fantastic. Um, and then, but in in early December, we're going to be performing in Geelong again. The the show that's by the young people down there, unapologetically myself, um, and. So many of those young people understand these issues inside out and have, you know, contact within their lives of um, prison. Wonderful. Look, mm. thank you so much for coming onto the program, Maud. It's been a pleasure, really. It's my pleasure. Thank you for your perseverance and thank you for bringing people's attention to the video clip. No, That's it's great. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll chat again soon and, and keep yeah. up the beautiful work. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank Take you. Care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Maud Clark from Somebody's Daughter. Um, now, we're not going to have time for any music because we're going to be having a special third interview now and we're going to be speaking with Lucy Honan from the Refugee Action Collective, um, speaking about... And you're back with the Doing Time Show. My apologies. There were some te- technical difficulties there. Hello, Lucy. Welcome to the Hi, program. Marissa. Sorry about that. That's all good. <laughs> yeah. Now, Lucy, I um, just wanted to reintroduce you. Um, Lucy Honan is from the Refugee Action Collective, but um, you are pre- representing teachers, is it? Teachers for refugees, that's right. Teachers for refugees. And, and you're from both, aren't you? Exactly. Fantastic. So, Lucy, I'm wondering if you could talk about this wonderful event that's happening at MITRE in Broadmeadows and talk about what MITRE is as well and what's going on. Okay, sure. So, uh, this Saturday at 12 noon, Teachers for Refugees is holding is hosting a protest that we're calling Untold Storytime out the front of the MITRE Detention Centre in Broadmeadows. Um, MITRE is... Um, it holds... Uh, a few hundred refugees um, in detention um, who, yeah, they're similar to the people on Manus and Nauru. The Australian government has decided that they're 
uh, not welcome in Australia for a whole variety of reasons, and it's called administrative immigration detention, but it's a prison. Um, and we are protesting the fact that, that this, this detention centre exists, but in particular we are highlighting the fact that there are five children in that detention centre, including one little girl who was born there. Um, people may have heard of the Bill Wheeler family, the two little girls who were born in Queensland, and then... Um, Peter Dutton's border force uh, ripped them out of their home in the middle of the night with their parents and brought them across the country and they've been held in Broadmeadows Detention Centre ever since, um, awaiting their deportation to Sri Lanka, um, as well as lots of other people, including um, there are four men in, in Broadmeadows, Tamil men, who have spent ten, nearly 10 years in indefinite detention in Australia's detention centres. Um, so we are holding a, a Teachers for Refugees protest. Um, we're going to have uh, what we're calling the untold story time, so a story time protest. The kids in detention don't get story time. A lot of the efforts to get um, early childhood education and, um, you know, lots of contact with early childhood educators and playgroups and so on for those kids and their parents have been fr frustrated by Serco. Uh, the company who runs the detention centre. Um, so we're holding a story time at the front to, to make the general public aware of the fact that that detention centre exists and what it's doing to people and also to, to show solidarity with all those people inside. Um, so we'll have speakers um, and there'll be lots of opportunities for, for kids and, and other um, people to get involved, sign-making, cake stalls, origami, freedom bird-making, um, book readings and more. So that's that's the plan for this Saturday at 12 noon um, outside the detention centre in Broadmeadows. So it's on the 10th of August, and as you said, it's uh, just to talk about it again, in case people have just tuned in, Untold Storytime Reading for Refugee Rights. Um, that's going to be outside the detention centre. And so it's the 10th of August, isn't it, at 12 o'clock, and it finishes right. at 1.30pm. That's right. And yep. the address is 120 to 150 Camp Road, Broadmeadows, um, 3047. Do leave a bit earlier, especially if you're getting a taxi. I used to get a taxi to the centre and the taxi driver could never find it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a... Because it's an old military barrack, so if you're, just, if you're driving up Camp Road, drive up slowly. We'll have lots of banners and things out the front, so hopefully you can see us. So Teachers for Refugees, um, now when you say untold story time protest... Um, does that mean that you'll be doing um, talks as well? That's right. So we're going to have um, uh, lots of speakers. Um, there'll, there'll be somebody from the Tamil Refugee Council speaking, teachers talking, um, as well as we've got um, somebody who's creating a, a storybook of, of what's happening in, inside the Broadmeadows Detention Centre. I'll be reading that. Librarians for Refugees have... Um, are going to be providing a, a book display as well um, to uh, provide lots of different books um, and show people the kind of books that are available if they're teachers or their parents and so on and they you know they want to educate young people about about what's going on in the way that they can understand it clearly and also educate people about the, the history and the and the power of protest movements that um, have, have stood up to our government over um, injustices like this. Um, and we're also really happy June Factor, who um, I, uh, she's the author of uh, the Far Out Brussels Sprout series. She's 
somebody who's heard about what's going on in detention, um, she's been very, very um, seriously advocating for kids in detention for a long time. She'll be there um, and and uh, reading from her book and making a gift of, of her books to the kids. And we're hoping that some of the kids inside the detention centre will be able to hear us, um, have an audio link, and maybe we'll be able to hear from them too. That's fantastic. And, you know... That's so important to have true stories of, of refugees, not that any of them are false, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's important well, to have... Well, they are false from Peter Dutton. Oh, yes, the, of course. You know, he just lies and lies. And so yeah, he I, does. You know, I agree with you. The true stories are the important stories. And, Lucy, there are some really powerful messages that um, that you, you, you've all created here, the message to the Morrison government, and I'll just read out a few of those messages for listeners. Kids out, free Kapika. Um, Isabella and others and families, all out of offshore and onshore detention, permanent protection, don't deport to danger. Dutton claims that there are no children in detention but imprisoned in Mitre at Broadmeadows alone, a two-year-old um, during How do you pronounce Karinka. it? Yeah, and three-year-old Kapika. And they were born in Queensland and they faced deportation to Sri Lanka, as you said, along with their parents. And I just wanted to highlight that, Lucy, because it is important that listeners are aware of why you're doing the, the event and the wonderful work that, um, that teachers um, are doing and, and all people in the Refugee Action Collective as well. Yeah, that's, thank you for that. I mean, it's important for teachers. A lot of us have taught kids who have had refugee backgrounds um, you know, sometimes kids who have been in detention and we can see the impact that detention has on kids and young people or kids whose, whose parents have been in Australia's detention centres. It's such a brutal cruelty um, and, and does such deep psychological damage to people, um, particularly after whatever other trauma they've been through. And so it's, there are, are plenty of teachers um, who feel this is a very, very serious cause that we're taking on as our own. Um, and a lot of inspiration is actually coming from um, teachers in the USA. I, you know, I'm not sure if your listeners are aware of the um, the movement against kids in cages. Teachers um, in the USA have been protesting Dutton's um, concentration camps where kids have been separated at the border and held in those horrific cages. Oh, yes. Teachers have been protesting there, you know, and saying classrooms, not cages, get the kids out of detention. And so that's you know, I suppose part of the inspiration for us is as teachers, we have a responsibility when it comes to kids. Uh, we are mandatory reporters. We are by law supposed to uh, report any instance where we think that children have been damaged, neglected or abused. And this is a clear instance, but it's the government doing it. Um, so we have to, you know, use our teacher voices, as we say, and shout loudly and clearly, this is an extreme injustice and it needs to end for the kids, but not just the kids, everyone in those detention centres needs to be released. Does not Dutton and the Morrison government, don't, doesn't it realise um, and doesn't Dutton realise that this is in breach of mandatory reporting? I don't think they care. I mean, I, I think on one level they must because that's part of the secrecy and part of the lies. Dutton keeps saying there's no kids in detention. Uh, Morrison makes out now as if it was his idea all along to get all the kids off Nauru. If you remember mm. that campaign last year, kids off. Yes. Um, during the election campaign, Morrison was kind of posturing as if it was him. You know, he'd done it. Um, said nothing about all of the advocates and activists and doctors and teachers and so on. Every all the effort that it took to 
to kind of uh, shame them publicly about what they were doing. So I think I think they understand that it is not publicly acceptable to keep children in detention. Um, that's why it's secret. Well, they don't care, personally. They do not care at all about these kids. It's part of the racism of the immigration detention system. Um, but... Yeah, they, they they definitely don't uh, don't take that into account as a question of duty of care for teachers or for themselves. Absolutely, and this I was actually talking to Chris Chris Breen last week from the Refugee Action Collective, and we were speaking about the Medivac Bill and and how um, you know the Morrison government wants to repeal repeal that, and that will certainly affect children. Uh, yeah, it definitely will affect children. I mean, the, the truth is there's no children um, on Nauru or Manus anymore, and that's that's down to the refugee um, activists and advocates and refugees themselves who have stood up to, to the government. But there are people who have been separated from their families, so um, fathers, um, you know, whose, whose children uh, and wives are living in Australia because they were on a different boat to them and they've been separated now for six years, for example, or their families are in their country of origin or another um, transit country, and they just have not been able to connect to them. So the Medivac bill, I think a lot of people have been hoping that that would be a, a opportunity to get everybody out of the detention camps because they're making everybody sick. Um, and if the, if the government does repeal that, then it will affect... Um, yeah, it, it will put a stopper on that process. Well, I hope not, and let's keep up the good work. So, um, yeah, people people need to rock up to Saturday's event on the 10th of August at MITRE starting from 12 o'clock until 1.30 um, and, and listen to some of the stories of the refugees and some of the great work that's being done. Lucy, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Lisa. Good to talk. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was Lucy Honan, um, who is representing Teachers of Refugees. Um, and there's a, as I said, there's an event happening um, down at Mitre Detention Centre outside, um, drawing attention to the violation of human rights of asylum seekers and refugees, particularly children. It's approximately 4.55 and we're nearing the end of our show. Thank you very much to our guests for participating. Thanks a lot to Auntie and, um, and Auntie Joanne and niece Courtney as well. And also thank you to Maud Clark um, and from Somebody's Daughter and also um, to Lucy as well. Just a quick reminder before we actually go, because we've got to go soon, um, Beyond Zero is up next. Just wanted to friendly reminder, quickly revisit Radiothon. It's not too late to donate. Um, 3CR still needs to meet its target, although we've come a long way. The Doing Time show didn't make its target this year. Almost, almost. Um, we had $850. Thank you to all our people that did donate, but we have $35 that we still need to raise. So anybody that's still um, wanting to donate, please call 94198377. It's approximately 4.56. We've got about one minute before I'm out of here. Tune in every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show. Thank you to Rob who um, helped produce the show and helped it run smoothly. Thank you also to Peter as well um, who helped to organise the interviews. So stay strong and take care of each other. We're going to be going out now with our theme song, Blackfella, Whitefella from the Rumpy Band. And it's goodbye from Marissa. Stay safe.